You don't need to produce some fancy, hilarious video. You don't need to do something wacky or zany. You don't need to write a comprehensive ebook or produce a food restaurant guide or anything like that. It can just be as simple as answering questions. In fact, that's what we found is the most effective. Plug into the minds of the world's cutting edge innovators, visionaries, and thought leaders, rewriting the rules of high performance at work. It's your time to make an impact. I am your host, Jason Campbell, and this is Superhumans at Work, a Mind Valley podcast. Mind Valley for Business is creating a revolution for businesses all across the globe. For the last 15 months, we've been quietly rolling out an amazing platform for discerning business leaders and their corporations in 58 different countries. Thoughtful companies like Exxon, Duracell, PwC, dozens of mid-market companies, and even groups of 20 to 30 employees at small businesses are gathering together to raise their game, their life, and their business profits to the next level. What makes Mindvalley for Business so effective is a distinct combination of things that we have seen drive success time and time again for 12 million individual learners in their everyday lives. There is a coaching library built to support employees when they need help the most. And a large part of this coaching library addresses the deeply personal needs of individuals that often go unmet. How to be a better parent, what to do when you're struggling with loneliness or depression, how to be better at your finances, and over 140 similar topics specifically focused on making sure employees aren't just great at work, but great at life. We'll teach you how to network, how to communicate to your peers, how to think strategically, how to grow sales to the next level. Coaches that cost 100 to 200 grand a year are available to you as part of this platform. This coaching library is available to you 24-7 and is as simple to use as YouTube or Netflix. To learn more about Mindvalley for Business, go to mindvalley.com forward slash superhumans. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Superhumans at Work. This is your host, Jason Campbell, and I have a very special guest to bring on the show today. Now, if you've been familiar, playing around, or just generally explored the theme of digital marketing in the past, this person will not be a stranger to you. Ryan Dice has been involved in the space of online marketing since the early 2000s, has been a leader that has created digitalmarketer.com, one of the top platforms when it comes to finding resources on how to play the game online, how to modernize your business's operation to take advantage of the transformation that has happened with the coming of the internet and a new way that we do marketing, sales, and really interact with customers and people within our own company. If you've ever heard of the amazing conference that happens, Traffic and Conversion Summit. He is the host and founder of this conference, which is growing with tens of thousands of attendees every single year. What I love the most about what they're doing there at Digital Marketer with Ryan playing a major role there is they have a mission to double the size of companies, 10,000 of them by 2020. Now, as the year is 2020 now, I know they've impacted so many of them and I'll let Ryan give us some more details on how they're doing on their goal and what you're going to learn today is not only what digital marketing can do for you if you're in that space, but there's so many of those elements that you can apply no matter what position you have within your company. Because at the end of the day, we're talking about communication and you're going to learn how to do this brilliantly with a one and only Ryan Dice. Ryan, thank you for being on the show. Jason, thanks so much for having me. 
Ryan, I mean, I've followed you on your journey. I've seen you speak on stage. I've been to Traffic and Conversion, which anybody listening, go check it out. It's an amazing conference. And I'd love for you to kind of kick us off with what you've seen evolve in the space of digital marketing. Like, how was it when it started? And what is it now? And is it a beautiful trend? I think it's a beautiful trend for sure. And so just kind of, I guess, point of clarification, I actually made my first sale online November 1999. So I got in made a sale in the previous millennium. But yeah, I really got going in the early 2000s. What's been amazing to see is really just, you know, when I first got started marketing online, everybody kind of looked at you a little bit sideways. They thought you were either, you know, doing something scammy or you were on eBay or something like that. And now it just is. It just is business. It is marketing. And so for me, it's very validating having all these people say like, I don't think anybody will ever buy anything online. And now I think this is a fascinating statistic. And this is from Google. I think it was Spencer Spinell, who was their uh, director of emerging platforms a couple years ago. He said, and the the stats changed a little bit, but did you know that only about 8% of retail transactions occur online still to this day? It's less than 10%. The vast majority still happen offline, but here's the biggie. 96% start online. So a lot of people think that, oh, my business isn't impacted by digital because I have a traditional brick and mortar or I've got a services business. Whether you are transacting business online or not, you are running a digital business. You just are today. There is no avoiding it. There is no getting around it, nor should you want to. I mean, all the channels that are available, channels where we have so much control, I just think it's a, I think it's a great time to be in business. It's a great time to be an entrepreneur, great time to be a marketer. And I love it because my family owns a brick and mortar type of business. It's swimming pools. And what happened is I was watching the trends. I was watching what you were teaching online. And I was like, I think people would do research online to buy a swimming pool. And so we started the blog. We started implementing those ideas. And now it's like, hey, isn't that interesting? People actually start Googling about it. They want to find out more about it. And then they trust the people that give them that kind of information. And I wanted to kind of go right there, which is all about this idea of like branding as relational equity. I know this is a big topic that you cover. And a lot of people, like you said, have this conception that if I'm doing marketing online, a lot of times it's, it can be scammy. It can be like taking advantage, but really you're just trying to build trust with customers. Can you tell us more about that trend that we see now and why it's important? I think that the emergence of digital has really changed what it means to do branding. Let me just say it like that. Branding used to mean your logo and your color scheme and your style guide. It might mean a sound generating top of mind awareness. That's all still a part of it. I'm not saying that that doesn't matter, that it's not a factor today. But what we now have the ability to do with digital, and you think about channels like you know social and email, brands have the ability today to communicate directly with their customers in ways that they just didn't have available before. And so what this means is we can add value in ways that we couldn't before. We can sell in ways we couldn't. We can also irritate our customers in ways that we couldn't before. It's like anything else, right? It can be done well or it can be done poorly. I've found that the best way to define branding today is giving value in advance. Or another way to look at it is making a deposit of what I call relational equity, okay? So in the past, brands would run branding campaigns, whether they were you know, a funny commercial or a really you know, beautiful ad, something that made somebody feel something because you know, now I've got a positive association to that brand. Really what they were doing though, is they were making a deposit of relational equity. I remember, you're probably not old enough to remember this, Jason, but they used to run these phone long distance commercials in the States at least. And they were the saddest, sappiest thing in the world, right? It'd be some guy being like, oh God, like, have you called your mama today? 
I sure wish I could, you know? And it's like, you're just weeping. You're bawling at these like incredibly sad, like long distance ads, but they, they made you feel something, right? And everybody remembers like the funny beer commercials or whatever that, you know, made you laugh, right? What that's doing is it's making a deposit of relational equity. I feel good about the brand. Well, historically, the way that brands did this was through entertainment, but really it's all content. And content is of two forms, information and entertainment. We can now also inform. So when a brand teaches through content marketing, when they put out really great videos and they put out a podcast, like you know what you're doing right now, that is making a deposit of relational equity in the form of content, in the form of information. And that's unique. That's new. Brands used to do it, but not to the extent that they do it right now. A lot of folks don't realize, you know, the Michelin restaurant, the Michelin like five-star chef's guide kind of thing, like figuring out where the best restaurants in the world are. A three-star Michelin restaurant is just, there's only a couple hundred of them, I think, in the world. You know, and a two-star is a really big deal. Like the best restaurants in the world want to get this star rating. Well, this was actually started over a century ago by the tire company, Michelin, because it wanted to encourage people to get on the road. You know, they're putting out these restaurant guides. So people would drive around, burn up their tires and have to buy new ones. So the idea of content marketing, this idea of delivering value in advance, it really isn't new, but digital has just given brands so many new ways to do it. And what I love about it is if you do this as a brand today, if you make that deposit of relational equity, then it is completely appropriate to follow up in the form of an email, to follow up with a retargeting ad, to follow up with additional advertising, asking for an order. There's nothing wrong with making a withdrawal as long as you have adequate funds on deposit, right? So I think that's the way that brands need to think about branding today. That's the way we need to think about marketing today, right? Marketing is about first engaging with our audience, delivering value in advance in the form of content, information, entertainment, then once we've done that, we have the ability to follow up like never before with email, like I said, and retargeting ads through social, all these different channels. Then we can ask for the order. Then it's completely appropriate to do it. And it's the least scammy way to market, I think, in the history of the world. I agree. And also, it seems like there's no more of those barriers in place. And an example of the Michelin star where it's like only a few restaurants could get that kind of rating and you would have to go buy the book. You would have to research these kinds of restaurants. But I go on TripAdvisor now. I can find restaurants. This is all efforts that are done in online marketing to put yourself on a platform that discusses other restaurants. And now I've went to places where it's these small little shops that are brick and mortar, yet they have such a great rating. They did all of their online experience that, that I can discover them. And in your case, I know you've applied this formula in so many different industries. Like, is this a rule that you can apply everywhere? Yeah, absolutely. And it can be as simple. I mean, I love the example that you provided, right? Your parents owned a swimming pool company. You know, a lot of people are like, nobody's ever going to buy a swimming pool online. No, they probably won't, but people have questions. And if you post answers to the most frequently asked questions out there for the world to see, posting them to a blog, recording videos and posting them on YouTube and LinkedIn and Facebook, right? When you answer somebody's question, when I mean, you think about it, when somebody has a question, that's a really tough place to be. When you have a question, you know you've got a problem and you don't have an answer to it, you don't have a solution to it, that's frustrating. It almost doesn't matter how small it is. When you answer somebody's question, you give them hope you open their mind, now they can believe all these other things and really take that next step. So I think in its simplest form, value in advance, content marketing, branding, 
whatever we want to call it, because it's all kind of the same thing. It's at least within the same category. It can be just as simple as answering the most frequently asked questions that you're getting. I cannot imagine a brand today that can't do that, right? I can't imagine a brand today. You don't need to produce some fancy, hilarious video. You don't need to do something wacky or zany. You don't need to write a comprehensive ebook or produce a food restaurant guide or anything like that. It can just be as simple as answering questions. In fact, that's what we found is the most effective. Wow. So just taking everyone listening here, a little step back here is what we've talked about is this idea of digital marketing has really evolved into making sure that you can actually put deposits into this bank account, this relational capital bank account. And you're really building trust with the people that are looking online for simple answers. Content marketing is a big thing. If you are being informative and you're being entertaining, these are two big aspects where you can actually go and answer people's questions. Everybody has questions. When you go online and answer them, you can now distribute this through social. You can put this on a website. There's so many different channels that you can use to put yourself out there to be discovered. And you can do so by providing value up front. And once you've done that, you've built enough deposits that you can actually start asking for a sale. And I wanted to jump into this, Ryan, because a lot of people are like, wow, how do I go ahead and ask for the sale? And I know that in your case, because you've jumped into so many different industries, it's not always just about the products. You're really trying to get people to choose a sort of transformation. I wanted you to walk us through that. Like, what's this idea of outcomes versus not products here? Yeah, I think no matter what you're selling, truly, it could be a pill, it could be a service, software, magic beans, whatever it is that you're selling, all of us who are in business are really in the business of transformation. Whatever product or service, we are all in the same business, and that is transforming people from a less desirable before state to a more desirable after state. In some areas of business, you know, maybe it's more noticeable, right? If you're in the fitness or the, the weight loss space, right? Taking somebody who's unhealthy and overweight into being really healthy and in shape and, you know, their clothes fit better and all, all these other things, like that's obviously visually transformative. But there's other businesses as well. Like I remember, you know, we owned a company at one point that we manufactured industrial water filters and sold them to like desalinization plants. That's about as B2B as it gets. And yet there was a person who worked for the desalinization plant in procurement. So this person is on the warehouse side where if they don't get these filters, these filters are at the front of a multi-stage process. And if they don't get these filters delivered in time, the entire plant shuts down, they get fired and their area goes without fresh drinking water. Now, everybody else is just with their filters. They're all just talking about how our filters are good. Our filters cost less. Our thing is we will guarantee deliver these filters. We will get you the filters faster than anybody else. If we got to put them on a private jet, we will get you these filters because we understood that the less desirable before state that this person lived in fear of is these filters that are at the very first stage don't show up. Everything gets shut down. I get fired. The entire city, county area hates me. If we can make sure that that person never has that fear, we have changed their life. Now, it's just a filter. Literally, it's a $14 filter but it's changed someone's life. And so I think the first rule of marketing, the first step in marketing is you got to identify what less desirable before state are you transforming people and what is their more desirable after state. If you can begin to articulate that, that transformation, 
you're always going to be relevant. Now it's just a matter of saying, when people are in this less desirable before state, what questions are they asking? What are they typing into Google? Now that will inform the content, which will inform the value in advance. And then working backwards, you can't assume that just because you've produced this content that people are going to find it. So you actually, as a marketer, need to buy advertising, not straight to your website or to your homepage. You actually need to buy advertising to that content and trust and believe, because it does work, that when somebody consumes the content, they begin to engage, that you walk them through that process, through that customer journey, and they wind up becoming a customer. That really is what marketing looks like today. When it's done right. It's done so right when you explain it that way. And I, I notice here that you've actually gotten so crystal clear on who was the buyer and what was that state. So for somebody listening here, like what's a step you can take to get clear on who's the person buying so that you can start really speaking to their soul? Because for you, you nailed that. Yeah, you have to talk to them. And I'm an introvert, so I don't enjoy it. I'll tell you, my least favorite part of the job is that, is talking to prospects and talking to customers. And it's not that I don't like people, it's that I don't get energy from it. In fact, I get, it's the opposite. It is really, really hard. But when we bought, a lot of the companies that were in businesses were in come through an acquisition or something like that. The first thing that we did was we figured out where's the next trade show occurring. We bought a booth there. We walked the floor, we talked to the people, we talked to our existing customers. Why do you buy from us? It was shocking. Why do you buy from us? Some people were like, well, we just like Sylvia in accounting. Okay, didn't expect that. That one's gonna be tough to scale. You know, why do you buy from us? Well, other people, theirs are a little less expensive and you know, maybe their quality's a little bit better, but you know, you've never been late on a, on a delivery, right? We heard that and I was like, that's interesting. You have to talk to people and you have to listen for these little things. Online research is great. Keyword research is great. Online surveys can be great. All these things can be great. You will never, ever outperform, though, the qualitative insights and data that comes from having a real life conversation with people. And so our rule is 20. It's a minimum of 20 conversations with prospects and customers. And I need it to be a mix of people who are not yet customers and people who are already have been customers. Because what's fascinating is you'll find that the reason people buy and the reason people stay are often different. And so if you only talk to the people who have been customers for a long time, then you'll find out the reason people stay, which is not necessarily the reason people buy. And I've got a, an example for that if you want one. I would love to hear that example. And my God, you are speaking to the choir because this is something I preach within Mindvalley. When it's in the product marketing team, people said, we got surveys, we got the data, we can do our market research on this. I was like, no, we need to get on the phone with these people. And so I'd love to hear this example of how you dig deeper. And I'm really curious about the fact that you speak to non-buyers because that's something I've never done. The way I see it is there's people who are pre-purchased. There's people who are middle of purchase, like they're right in the midst of it. So the easiest way is if somebody's in a trial. But usually it's within the first, definitely within the first week or two. Oftentimes you can get it within the first 30 days and then it starts to shift, right? Either they're unhappy, you didn't get a fit, where you get phenomenal, actually, they're hard to talk to. When somebody churns out, one, they're hard to get a hold of. They oftentimes don't want to talk to you. So you got to, you know, have a lot of those. But it's also just painful to hear somebody tell you that your baby's ugly. But you got to do it, right? You got to do it because it ain't a baby. All right, it ain't your kid. It's a business. You got to make it better. But after about 30 to 60 days, definitely, people forgot why they bought, especially if you did a good job. If you did a good job delivering on the promise, they have moved on. They have moved on to a greater state of self-actualization in whatever new reality you've created for them. Yes, that's amazing. It's just unhelpful, right? It can inform 
how do you need to deliver value and how do we get people to that aha moment and stuff like that. But you got to talk to them ideally within the first seven days, first 48 hours. If you can get somebody there and find out, hey, what was going on in your life that caused you to buy today? That is the question. What was going on in your life that caused you to buy today? What was the thing that you heard that really tipped you over the edge? Because we found, for example, if we ask people who have been in Digital Marketer Lab, our membership at Digital Marketer, why do you stay? What do you love the most about it? They say the community. We love the community. We love the Facebook group. Anytime I've got a question, I can go and get an answer. We hear that again and again and again. So we thought, ah, this is why people buy. This is what they love about it. Let's market the community. We tested that. Sales plummeted because that's not the reason they buy. It's the reason they stay. The reason they buy is because they needed to run a Facebook ad and they didn't know how to do it. And we happen to have this playbook on how to set up your first Facebook ad and they bought it for seven bucks and then they went and, you know, set up the Facebook ad and it worked and now they're in the game. They forgot that they ever didn't know how to run a Facebook ad within like a couple of days. So you got to get them in those earliest days. And the magic question is what was going on in your life that caused you to sign up today? And what did you hear that ultimately tipped you over the edge and made you think like, yeah, this is worth giving a try. Brian, this is so valuable. And it also definitely gets people out of thinking that they're the buyer. I'm so terrible at this. And especially I'll decide there's things that I don't like. And the longer you're in it, the better you get, the more worthless you get at guessing what the customer wants. It's amazing. You would think you'd get better. You actually get worse. It's fascinating. It's so interesting. It makes me think of this one time I was launching a product for Mindvalley, which was about energy clearing sessions. Now, whether you believe in that or not, I remember going through it and I was like, oh my God, I didn't believe in it. I was like, how can I sell this? And I was supposed to market this and get people to buy it. And I was like, oh, this, this is not working for me. How could I possibly do that? And I did exactly what you prescribed. I called 20 customers that had bought us the year before. And I remember there was this one person, which I did ask his permission to share, was, his name was Chuck. I asked him the question you said, which was like, what was your state before? And he was like, I was depressed. I was on medication. I was seeing a psychiatrist. And the moment he purchased this was at a time that he was feeling quite desperate, couldn't retain a job, purchased this. And then he started doing the exercises in the program and went like, oh my God, every time I do this, it's like a happiness booster pill. Speak to a psychiatrist about it. They said, I don't know what you're doing. Keep doing it. They reduced his medication. He now has a stable job and his life is being put back together. And I was at a moment where I was like, oh my God, look at me almost being so selfish thinking I was the buyer. Yet when I went to study the customer, not only was I able to start understanding what was the before state, I actually used his story in a piece of content saying that, hey, when you do this, it's going to be like a happiness booster pill. And that story came from just going out there, having those conversations. It's such a powerful thing that I think a lot of people forget to do. And I'm so happy you stressed on this point because I think it's so important. Yeah, I'm a good copywriter. That is one of the few things that I think I'm actually really legitimately better than the vast majority of people on planet Earth at. The best copy I've ever written were simply reciting words that I heard other people say. You know, it's as simple as that. The best copywriters talk to more customers and uh, prospects than anybody else. Love it. So we covered a lot of things here around digital marketing. We talked about how you want to have this bank account and you're basically putting in deposits when you're promoting content. Answer people's questions. Listen to the people where the questions are going to come out. And if you're looking to sell the products, think about the outcomes. What was the state they were in before they bought? Look at what transformation they got when they bought. And when you want them to stay, if it's a membership or something they recurrently do business with you, there's different reasons why people actually purchase than why they stay. Be curious about this. It's really having a 
deep curiosity about the people you do business with so you can not only understand how to attract them better, but you can actually get them to purchase and let your business grow. And I wanted to shift gear at this point, Ryan, because I know you're working on this brand new initiative. And I think a lot of people that might be listening here saying, hey, Jason, hey, Ryan, this is great. I'm not a marketer, but I work within a really big company. I don't know how I can apply these concepts when it comes to dealing with my colleagues, dealing with my supervisors, my bosses. Does digital marketing play any role with internal communications within a company? Yeah, it does. And thank you for the setup. And I'll tell you, I figured this out the hard way by utterly failing as a communicator to my own organization. You know, I said before, I'm very proud of the fact that I'm a good copywriter, that I can be very persuasive. We communicate frequently to our customers who are on our digital market and our subscribers who are on our digital marketer list. Some might say we over communicate. And yet within my own organization, there was almost no clarity. Within my own organization, people felt like they were kind of lost and wondering. You know, within my own organization, they weren't as motivated, enthusiastic as I felt like they should have been about, you know, kind of what we were doing. And it turned out it's because they weren't being marketed to. I kind of forgot what I know to be true about marketing, which is marketing is romance, right? Marketing is communication. And I forgot for the people, frankly, who are the most important to me. You know, my team, I love our customers. Don't get me wrong. My team is more important to me than, than my customers. I've told customers before who are being rude to team members, you're done. You're dead to me. You have no idea how much more important they are to me than you, right? So team is super important. And yet they got none of our marketing efforts. They got none of our communications efforts. So I started doing the simplest thing in the world. The very first business that I ever launched online was an email newsletter. It was just a very simple email newsletter back when we called them e-zines, right? Simplest thing in the world, but it was a basic way to kind of build media. And, and it's cool because today now, you know, the email newsletter is having this renaissance with like, you know, the hustle and the skim and morning brew. There's all these companies who are realizing that, wow, email newsletters are a thing. And even, you know, traditional news companies like Vox, you know, coming out with a lot of email newsletters. I was like, I'm doing such a bad job communicating. I'm just going to kick it old school. And I'm going to start sending out an internal email newsletter. Once a week, I'm going to give an update on where are we doing with respect to our goals and our mission? What am I personally working on? So I've got some accountability. What am I reading, watching? And the feedback that I got was amazing. You know, my team's like, this is great. And I started realizing, you know, what we should also do is when somebody joins an organization, we should have an automated email series that goes out to welcome and onboard them. We do it with new subscribers. And yet somebody shows up here and they've kind of got a buddy for a couple of days. You know, our people in culture, HR rep is in there working with them. Their manager will work with them. But there's nothing from the company. There's nothing from me that necessarily goes out. So what if we just applied what we know to work in marketing, digital marketing, basic email marketing best practices to our internal team? What if we start doing internal marketing? It's exactly what we started doing kind of just through cobbled together different tools and apps sort of held together with duct tape and bubble gum. And then we decided we should really build a tool to do this. And so that's what we did. It's at recess.io. We call it recess because to me, like recess was my favorite time of the day when I was in school. It's also a moment to pause. But yeah, we want to build an internal marketing tool that's every bit as powerful as the external marketing tools that companies have, because I believe that internal marketing is at least as important as external marketing. There just aren't a lot of tools for it. So I'm excited about that. Very cool. And honestly, it's funny you mentioned because we had the same issue at Valley. We had a point where like, for example, Vision is like traveling around, he's meeting these people and then he'd come back in the office and be like, guys, we're going to be doing this, this. And people are like, how is this connected? We were working on something else. Where did this come from? 
And so we've actually implemented the exact same tool, which was the weekly newsletter. And now there's so much more alignment and we realize that there's so much more we can do. So I'm very curious to go check out this recess tool to see what are some of the other best practices. And for everybody listening here, understanding this internal marketing, like everything we learned in this episode applies equally to your internal marketing. I mean, if you're trying to communicate with a department to get them excited about a transformation or a change initiative, are you depositing into that account that we spoke about earlier? And then when you're making that offer where you're saying, hey, we're going to propose this new project, are you focused on the outcomes? The project itself is not as important as what are you going to make as a transformation for the customers, for the team, and putting in the efforts to communicate it internally will reduce the friction, will build up the enthusiasm, will get people excited, rallied, productive. And this is a core thing that should be done internally to the company, not just with the external digital marketing initiatives. Ryan, we talked about so many great things here, and I know there's so much more we could talk about, but I'm really glad that we really went deep into understanding the basics of digital marketing, how it applies with your external side, which is how do you communicate with customers? How do you do the content marketing? How do you make the offers? How do you study them? Why do you need to talk to them? Why it's so important and how we can apply the same thing internally as well. I wanted to just also make sure people could discover more about digital marketing because I know you have the journey, which really maps out how somebody can go in and really become very clear on how someone walks through them in their external marketing. Can you tell us a bit more about that in closing? Yeah. So marketing, digital marketing is obviously complicated, (laughs) you know, more channels today than ever before. It's great, but it also leaves us kind of, where do I start? So we have this resource at our website at digital marketer. It's digitalmarketer.com forward slash journey. And it will walk you through how do you really diagram, outline, document the customer journey that you're going through? Because the first step is you got to document it. Then you can begin to optimize it and work towards it. But it begins with awareness. It gets an engagement. How do I deliver that value in advance? How do I get them to subscribe and build that email list? And it just goes through the entire process. It's totally free. There's a downloadable resource that you can fill out either by yourself or with your team. I'd get your team involved on it as well. But this is step one. You don't go out and start creating Facebook ads or Google ads just yet. Don't start blogging just yet or launching new podcasts or anything like that. Step number one, document how customers happen. (laughs) How do strangers become friends, become buyers, become raving and referring fans? Document that process. Then you can figure out the process of optimizing it and how you can tactically deploy digital marketing. Documenting that journey is step one. So that'd kind of be my my gift to everybody here, digitalmarketer.com forward slash journey. Ryan, thank you so much for your time joining us in this episode. For everybody listening, we went all over for digital marketing. You've seen how it's evolved. It's a beautiful thing, a beautiful future. Every single business has an online component, whether you're doing it externally, speaking to your customers, learning how to provide them value, answering their questions, also understanding how to make offers, It's really focusing on their state before, their state after. Speak to them, get to know them, and apply the same concepts internally. Don't neglect your internal team members. Make sure that you're doing the same types of activities because in essence, you're in the business of communicating, romancing, as Ryan mentioned, so that you can really bring people to the journey you want to take them through. And go pick up those resources. We'll have all those links in the podcast show notes. And thank you so much, everybody, for listening. Ryan, once again, thank you for being on the show. Jason, thanks so much for having me. My name is Jason Campbell, and this is Superhumans at Work, a Mind Valley podcast.